Brothers and sisters, open your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter 8. Genesis chapter 8. Um, we're going to be covering chapters 8 and uh, the first half of chapter 9. But um, because we record the sermons, uh, I have to replug two books because I got both the titles wrong and at least one of the, one of the authors wrong. And because people listen online, I've had multiple people ask me, we couldn't find those books that you... Um, and so I just brought them up with me. Um, if you, like me, um, struggle with prayer, um, and you feel like maybe it's helpful to you know, use some training wheels again, um, two books that have ministered to me a lot recently, um, and you'll see it when I, when I lead just um, congregational prayer. One is a handbook for praying scripture by William Varner, and I'll just leave it up here so that after the service, uh, a handbook for praying scripture by William Varner, and then uh, Psalms in 30 Days by Trevin Wax. Um, these have both just ministered to me, um, taught me again um, how to pray, and encouraged me um, in my prayer life. And so if you, like me, struggle in prayer, and, and you're looking for a devotional or a guide or training wheels, um, check out those books. Um, I'd love to, if you like them, I'd love to, I'll buy you one if, if you'll read it. Um, so, um, uh, to the sermon, Genesis 8, um, as we have been going through the Bible, um, the, uh, we have gone through two weeks of um, fairly intense, fairly heavy judgment. Um, it has uh, been heavy passages, and I have had a, a, a heavy tone, um, but as we come into Genesis chapter 8, I, I just want to give you the bottom line up front in case... You know, I, I go down a rabbit trail and, and get away from my notes. Um, but here's kind of you know, the, the sermon in two minutes. Um, we've, we've talked so much about the faithfulness of, of Eve. You know, we, Eve trusted. She had faith. She trusted. That's what it means. Um, and, and you see this again in, in Seth, and you see this a little bit in, in Enoch, and then, and then you see it in Noah, and we have seen the faithfulness of human beings um, who are trusting in God's promises. Well, beloved, I, I believe the main point that God would have us see in this text in Genesis 8 and first half of chapter 9 is the faithfulness of God. That we, are, we seek to be a faithful people because we worship a God who is faithful. The text we're going to read begins and ends with the fact that God remembers his people. We confessed, um, our, our confession this morning from Psalm 88 was, was someone crying out that essentially feels forgotten of God. And the assurance coming from Malachi is an assurance, um, beloved, if you are in Christ, you are never forgotten. Whether you are uh, inundated um, as a young mom with poopy diapers and needy kids all week, or you're in kind of your working years and you're toiling away day after day, week after week, year after year, um, making widgets at the widget factory and you're tired, or whether you've retired and your time is your own now, and, and yet you still feel forgotten so much Beloved, if you are in Christ, you are never forgotten. So, 
get to the text. Uh, Genesis chapter 8. But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind blow over the earth and the waters subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of the heavens were closed. The rain from the heavens was restrained and the waters receded from the earth continually. At the end of 150 days, the waters had abated. And in the seventh month, on the 17th day of the month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. And the waters continued to abate until the 10th month. In the 10th month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. At the end of 40 days, Noah opened the window of the ark that he had made and sent forth a raven. It went to and fro under the, until the waters were dried up from the earth. Then he sent forth a dove from him to see if the waters had subsided from the face of the ground. But the dove found no place to set her foot, and she returned to him in the ark, for the waters were still on the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand and took her and brought her into the ark with him. He waited another seven days, and again he sent forth the dove out of the ark. And the dove came back to him in the evening, and behold, in her mouth was a freshly plucked olive leaf. So Noah knew that the waters had subsided from the earth. Then he waited another seven days and sent forth the dove, and she did not return to him anymore. In the 601st year, in the first month, the first day of the month, the waters dried, were dried from off the earth. And Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and behold, the face of the ground was dry. In the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth had dried up. Then God said to Noah, Go out from the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing that is with you of all flesh, birds and animals and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing and every bird, everything that moves on the earth went out by families from the ark. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. And God blessed Noah and his son and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea. Into your hand they, were, they are delivered. Every moving thing that moves shall be food for you. And as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. For your lifeblood I will require a reckoning. From every beast I will require it from man. From his fellow man I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. 
For God made man in his own image. And you, be fruitful and multiply, increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you, and with every living creature that is with you, the birds and the livestock and every beast of the earth with you, as many as come out of the ark. It is for every beast on the earth. I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, This is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all generations. I have set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is set in the sky, in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. Beloved, the grass withers and the flowers fade. But the word of our Lord stands forever. And then let's say it together. Thanks be to God. Let's pray and get into the text. Father God, I pray that we might be a little bit more like you because of your word. That you have made us in your image and yet we profane it so much of the time. Help us by your grace, by your mercy, by your patience, by your spirit by your word, be conformed a little bit more into your image. Help us to be a faithful people who remember you and remember your promises because we know and trust that you are a God who remembers your people, remembers your promises. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the text is large, so we're going to have to get through it quickly to, to get all the way to the end, but starting in, in chapter 1, it begins right there, but God remembered Noah and all the beasts and the livestock that were with him in the ark. I don't know if you can um, imagine, we, we don't know all that Noah has heard from God, we're only given what we are given, but it, it, can you imagine being locked in a a boat about the size of a football field and a half, at least three stories high, and then actually being in the floodwaters. The fountains of the deep bursting forth, likely tons of volcanic activity, storms that you could only imagine, and you are there in the ark. And Noah has been faithful. Noah has trusted God for hundreds of years. And he has faithfully built this ark, but yet, when you pass through the waters, it can be a jarring event. This is why, for the rest of the Bible, when it talks about passing through the waters, it is a call to faith. A call to faith, and God's promise is, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. 
But if you could just be honest, if you're there with Noah. I mean, I, I trust that airplanes work well. I know, as just a fact, that air travel is actually safer than traveling in your automobile down the interstate. But I still must confess, as many times as I have flown, when the plane is taking off, and it, has, it makes those sounds like a tin can, and you see the wingtips flexing, that doubt creeps into my own heart. And I think Noah's probably there as well. And we'll see that as it, as it goes. And in the rest, you know, verses 2 through 5, it, it starts giving the, the details of what happens after 150 days. This happens, and it, comes, it gets snagged on a mountain that's still underwater, and the boat finally stops. And Beloved, and it's, and it's giving dates on the first day of the 10th month and on the 7th month, on the 17th day of the month. Why? Why would God put that into his text? I don't think we need to get into weird numerology and figure out, oh, 17. Well, 17 means this. No. Beloved, just as genealogies ought to proclaim to us that this is true, let this proclaim to you in the 7th month, on the 17th day of the month, God's word is true. This is no myth. Paul said it this way in defending the historicity and truthfulness of the Bible. Is Christ, if Christ is not raised as like a historical event, we of all people are most to be pitied. Beloved, do we believe this? Are we willing to believe in the historicity of what might get us laughed at in a science classroom? And it, it continues. I, I want to pick up in verse 6. At the end of 40 days, and so uh, what seems to be happening is in verse 1 through 5, it kind of describes the whole flood, and then it goes back to at the end of 40 days. Well, at the end of 40 days of what? It seems as though when the rain finally stops, the beating rain on the boat, that's probably echoing throughout it, the rain finally stops. So Noah opened one of the windows that God designed, the, the, the cubit height window that wraps around the boat, it seems. He, he opens it up a little bit, and he sends out a raven. As far as we know, God didn't tell Noah how long the flood would last. He sends out a raven. He's trying to figure out what's, what's going on, and, and beloved, so many things have been done with, well, this is what ravens mean in literature. And this is what doves mean in literature. And I would just caution you against what that is, is that's omens. That's like the Roman legionnaire priests who are looking at the birds going, oh, it's a raven. Um, Let's be careful of looking for omens in the Bible. He sends out a bird. He doesn't know what's going on. And if you've ever been in a shed that has lofted ceilings and, and a bird is in there, he is observing. The, the bird is not going anywhere. There's nowhere to go. He's trying to figure out what's going on, and the, and the bird leaves and comes back, and it keeps coming back. It went to and fro until the waters were dried up from the earth. He's, he's watching this raven, trying to figure out what, what's going on. 
Then, you know, after there seems to be some drying up and the, the raven has done its thing, verse 8, then he sent forth a dove from him to see if the waters had subsided from the face of the ground. When you flood the whole planet, the puddles last a long time. Can you go out? I've, I've been in a number of areas that have experienced severe flooding, and it's actually even after the flood passes, you, sometimes walking on the ground can be a very dangerous event because the water is so saturated. I've, I've seen a skid steer in Texas after flooding um, go onto a very clay-filled area. It was actually a forest, but the, whole, the, the top was hard, but when the skid steer hit the guy's lawn, it was like a wave. And it looks hard and it just rippled across the whole ground. It's, you, you, you know, you don't want to go out of the ark, was, you know, the day one when things dry up. And the seed bed that has been laced throughout the soil needs time to sprout. So they're waiting. They're waiting. Noah had to work hard for a hundred years and he was faithful in that. Beloved, sometimes some of you are good at working. Some of us for better or worse, are good at going, oh, here's what the law says. I need to pull myself up by my bootstraps and we can just kind of do it. And that leads to certain temptations. Well, Noah was called to do a thing and he he faithfully did it. He did what he needed to do and now he's sitting in the ark (laughs) waiting. Beloved, anyone else like me? You know, when you're waiting, give me a task. Give me a task. I think it's sense and sensibility where the young military officer, someone is sick and dying, just tell me what to do. I need something to do. Waiting is hard, beloved. Hard for you, it's hard for me. It was probably hard for Noah. So he's, all he's got's birds. <laughs> so all he's, he's trying to figure things out. And the, but the dove goes out and it found no place to set her foot. She returned to him in the ark for the waters were still in the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand and took her, brought her into the ark. He waited another seven days, and again he sent forth the dove out of the ark. And the dove came back to him in the evening, and behold, her mouth, in her mouth was a freshly plucked olive leaf. God has restored the earth. There's greenery is coming up again. You know, it's, it's, it, this isn't day one with the waters subsiding. It's it's taken some time, and, the, and they're, they're waiting, and now the greenery has been restored. So Noah knew that the waters had subsided from the earth. Then he waited another seven days, sent forth the dove, and she did not return to him anymore. He is hesitant. He is cautious. He is waiting. And then it gives us another date in verse 13. In the 601st year, in the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried up from off the earth. Noah removed the covering of the ark. It seems as though this is, this is the roof. He's taking the roof off so he can see what's going on and not just trusting the birds that are coming to and fro. He removes the covering of the ark and looked, and behold, the face of the ground was dry. A month later, in the second month, on the 27th day of the month, near the end of the next month, the earth had dried out. Then God said to Noah, go out from the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing that is with you of all flesh, birds and animals and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. 
that they may swarm the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. The reiteration of the creation mandate. God is going, I'm going to do it again. And I actually want us to pause here and think about Moses. You know, Moses, he's bringing up the Israelites out. The Israelites have, uh, they're the ones receiving Genesis. We should think about Genesis, you know, through the eyes of the Israelites as they are coming up out of the Exodus. And what's one of the first things that happens at Mount Sinai? Not just the Ten Commandments, but Moses comes down and what's going on? They're worshiping idols, like a dog returning to its vomit, like you and I returning to our sin so often. So what does God say he's going to do? He tells Moses, stand back. I'm just going to blot them all out and raise up from one, and I will fulfill my promises. God is not to be trifled with. And can you think, think about how this passage is landing on those in, in coming up out of Egypt. You know, the, the, there was this call of God's, uh, of all creation to, to fill the earth, be fruitful and multiply. And then they didn't do it. And they filled the earth with violence, not with beauty. And so God wipes them out and he restores one. He, when he says it, he means it. He could have totally destroyed the Israelites and raised up from Moses, but what holds it back for the Israelites? Moses intercedes for his people. Prayer. The intercession of a mediator holding back the wrath of God. Beloved, this is our hope. We're not Noah in this story. We're not Moses in this story. We're the sinner's that deserve the flood, but for a mediator, but for one more righteous than we. But it continues, Noah goes out finally, his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing, every bird, everything that moves on the earth went out by families, its kind, from the ark. What does Noah do in his response to his great salvation? What is the first thing that he wants to do? Sometimes, beloved, I feel like we, um, it's often there in preaching that we, you know, here's the sermon and then what's the application? What do I need to go do? And, and I do believe in application. We need to go and be people that do things in response to what, what God has done. But, beloved, the, the application for every text one of the applications, we must never forget this, is to respond in worship. Noah models this for us. He builds an altar to the Lord, took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird. And remember, there's, the clean animals aren't two by two. They, you know, they got seven pairs of the clean animals, so you can actually offer a sacrifice of the clean animals without extinction occurring. And he offers up these animals on a burnt offering, and it says the Lord smelled the the pleasing aroma, you know, when you sacrifice animals, um, th- these burnt offerings, you don't sacrifice the whole animal, you take out the innards, okay? So it's, it's, this isn't like an awful stench and you think God is satisfied with that awful. No, 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 most of these sacrifices in the Old Testament, many of them are actually meals. Probably not a meal here for Noah because he's not told he's allowed to eat meat yet. I like to think of this as, Smells like the Mission barbecue truck is driving by. 
But the text says that. It tells, that's a funny detail. It tells us that it, this smells good. It's something beautiful has a, occurred. And the Lord said in his heart, and if he says this in his heart, well, how do we have it now? Well, he's revealed his heart to his people. And he says, I will never again curse the ground because of man. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. It reiterates that we are all guilty. None of us, you know, uh, and how long have you been guilty? Your whole life. You, you know, me too. Uh, the intention of man's heart is said and is, uh, you know, uh, evil from his youth. But he's, but he's saying, this judgment that I have levied, I'm not going to do it again. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature that I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. God here is beginning with a promise, beloved. You know, the, the Noahic covenant isn't just a promise against cataclysmic global flood. It's a promise against global cataclysm. You know, and sometimes I feel like Christians can be, we can consume the world's worldview of how things exist a little bit on this front. I love space exploration. I'm a, I'm a fan of SpaceX. I, I like the idea of sending people to the moon and to Mars. Okay, But we're not looking for Earth 2.0 in case an asteroid hits. I'm sorry. That is a worldly worldview. God will sustain the Earth. Now, now the, the people that love that idea often forget, you know, we probably should take care of the planet. We need to be stewards of all that God has given us. But we need to be careful of both extremes. We need to be good stewards and trust, you know, until Christ returns, there isn't going to be a global cataclysm. We're, we're not going to be have a mass extinction event. We don't need nuclear rockets that we can shoot into space to intercept the asteroids. But this is something, this is a genuine thing the world struggles with. But not, not us. Do we believe God will hold his promises? Seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. God begins with a promise. And then it says, God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply. He reiterates their, he gives them a promise, now he gives them a purpose. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea, into your hand they are delivered. It seems as though prior to the flood, there's more of a partnership between you know, animal kind and humankind. But there's going to be some fear in that relationship now, and it, it makes sense because God is now saying, um, the plants were your food prior to the flood. It seems as though, by every evidence, they were vegetarians prior to the flood. They kept flocks probably for dairy purposes. But now, he says, every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. As I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. Why? Well, he's, he's actually trying. He, there's, a, there's a very important lesson in this. Verse 4. You shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. There's a food law in the Noahic covenant. Sometimes I feel like we forget that. There's a food law. Don't eat the blood. The, the blood is in the life. Wh why? There is a sacredness to blood. The life is in the blood, and 
Beloved, I'm, what you're about to hear is a very minority position in the Reformed world. So just, I'm not going to die on the stake for how, what I'm about to say. <laughs> um, minority position on Acts 15. In Acts 15, remember the first Jerusalem council, the first general assembly, we might say, in the Presbyterian world, and they gather to figure out what do we do with the Judaizers, and then what do we do with the Gentile converts to Christianity? Do we require them to essentially become Jewish? Do they get circumcised? Can we eat meat? Uh, you know, uh, there's all these questions, and the first general assembly goes and solves these questions, and the James, you know, under the uh, with the authority of the apostles behind him, writes a letter to the churches and says, abstain from sexual immorality. Okay, we, we still hold to that. You don't worship idols. We still hold to that. And then there is this, uh, there's this view that they essentially throw the Jews a bone. They say, don't consume blood or animals that have been strangled to death. The idea of strangling an animal to death is they're not bled. The blood is still in the body. Well, what's going on there? I, I don't, my, my position is not that they're just being thrown a bone. You know, I, I, I think if the first general assembly said, don't eat blood, or animals that still have the blood in them, that maybe we shouldn't either. Why? To teach us the life is in the blood. The very minority position on Acts. So I, I personally, I don't eat blood sausage. I don't eat black pudding. But the, the main point is the lesson in the treating blood with a sacredness. And Jesus in John says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood. He is, God knows the end from the beginning. He is setting up his word so that we learn deep in our souls our sin, one, requires blood. And one, we can't pay the price. We need another's blood to cover us. That's what we, we remember, that sacrifice. Every time we celebrate the Lord's Supper, the life is in the blood, and God has given his life to us. There is a sacredness to blood. So if you, if you don't follow me on the no black pudding thing, at least see that there is a sacredness to blood, particularly to Christ's blood. Verse 5, he goes on, And for your lifeblood I will require a reckoning. From every beast I will require it from man. Or sin demands blood. From his fellow man I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Now he, you know, in, in the pre-flood world, there doesn't seem to be government police officers. Cain commits murder, and as opposed to God saying, let man kill you, he actually puts a mark on him and ostracizes him and does not allow for capital punishment. But that is a, a change after the flood. God gives the sword of the civil magistrate to man. This is one of the laws in the Noahic Covenant. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. Now, this is not vigilante justice. Cultures have to figure out how to do this, whether it's a judge and a jury or in the ancient world, the elders at the gate. And the Bible is going to put, you, you can't just have one person witness this. It needs to be two witnesses. This is a just system. 
But, beloved, we need to understand that God is giving the civil magistrate authority and the authority of the sword, and that gets established right here. Our government wields a real and true power, and we should pray that they wield it in a way that glorifies God. One of the most heinous sins, I would argue, on the political spectrum is actually these prosecutors that refuse to prosecute violent crime. How can we pray for our government? Pray that they repent. Pray that they love those under their care. By administering justice, God has given them the sword. We are to submit to them and we are to pray for them. And this is one thing that as a church we should pray for. That these sorts of crimes would be punished, not man taking it into their own hands, but rightfully ordained civil magistrate. And it reiterates a third time the Creation mandate, be fruitful and multiply, increase greatly on the earth and multiply on it. And then here, let's end thinking about the gospel in these last 11 verses. Verse 8, God said to Noah and to his sons with him, behold, behold, notice this, I establish my covenant with you. Who establishes the covenant? Whose covenant is it? It's his. Covenants, God establishes his covenants and they are his covenants and he graciously includes us. And is it for us only? No. Your offspring after you. This is how covenants work. This is how legal covenants work today. If you enter into a covenant with your land and your children inherit your land, they are under the obligations of the covenant that they had no say in. That's still how covenants, that's how it worked then, that is how covenants work now. We are under this covenant. We are one of Noah's offspring. We are under this covenant. And with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, every beast of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark, for it is for every beast of the earth, I establish my covenant with you. What? that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. And never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. Beloved, if you compromise on the globalness of the flood, then God has not kept his covenant. You understand that? If we want to make the passage easier to palate scientifically, then we make it untenable theologically. Because God has, he's, he, whatever happened with Noah, he is promising, I will not do that again. If it was a local flood, then God has not kept his covenant. It is not a minor compromise to just go, oh, a local flood's easier for me and my scientific-minded vocation. But he promises, I will not flood to destroy the earth. God said, this is the sign. So now this covenant has a sign. It has a reminder that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. It says, I have set my bow in the clouds. And just a note on this, um, you know, the children's storybook Bible can be wonderful. Okay? And it, it, it 
has a word fallacy where bow must mean like a bow with arrows and it's pointed into the sky at God's own heart. Be careful. You know, when, if I talk about going to the bank to deposit money, you understand that that's a different bank than it's like when I go to the bank to cast into the river, okay? These are different banks that you're going to. And you could probably go way back and look at phenomenology and, and how language where there might be some overlap. No, no, no. Just talking about the rainbow. Talking about the rainbow. And it's a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. Now, beloved, does God need reminders? Is he like you and I? He begins his day and he's got his checklist in case he forgets something. Why is God telling us that this phenomena of, of rain and light is a reminder to him? He knows we are frail. He knows we're forgetful. The sign is for us. Beloved, what should you do when you see the rainbow? Not the flags down in Charlottesville. Rainbows in the sky. We say our God is faithful. He remembers his people. And he keeps his promises. Our God is faithful. He remembers his people. He keeps his promises. You need that reminder. As do I. The water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that's on the earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between you and me and all flesh that's on the earth. So, beloved, how do we, how do we get from this to Christ? How do we get from this promise, this covenant? If, if all God's promises find their yes and amen in Jesus Christ, how do these promises find their yes and amen in Jesus Christ? Well, we need... We need to admit that the wickedness of man deserved this. Our sin deserves this sort of cataclysmic global judgment. And when God says, I am going to refrain from this sort of cataclysmic global judgment, that creates a problem. Because the wickedness of man is still great on the earth. Every intention of the thought of his hearts is only evil all the time. And apart from Christ, apart from the Holy Spirit, so is my heart and so is yours. God isn't going to judge the earth in this way because he has provided another way. The reason God can be patient with sin and still be just is because in his foresight and in his patience, he knows that he will provide another. He will provide blood to cover us. He will provide another way to go, come through the flood alive. He will provide another prophet that is more righteous than Noah. And that is Jesus Christ. 
all God's promises find their yes and amen in him. And so when we see the rainbow and we think, my God is faithful, he remembers his people. We also remember the judgment that we have escaped only because of Jesus Christ. Christ makes these promises possible. And just final thought for application. If God gives us signs of covenants because he knows we are forgetful, he knows we are frail, I would encourage you to think about how do you build reminders into your life to remind you of these promises? In, in Deuteronomy 6, it says, write them on the doorpost of your house. You have a pillow from the 80s that's been embroidered with a Bible verse. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. You have a, a, a banner in your house that has the promises of God on it. Beloved, because we are finite, we are frail, and we are forgetful, we need to build into our lives reminders, and we need to be that reminder for someone else. Beloved, you might be doing well today, but someone in here is not. One of the gospel things you can do for them is remind them who they are in Christ. Remind them of the promises of God. Husbands and wives, how can you be an encouragement to one another? You can be a reminder. We can remind each other of the promises of God. Well, let's, let's end with prayer, remembering that our seeking to be faithful, we are faithful because God is faithful. He is not forgetful. He remembers his people in their toil. He remembers Noah when he is anxiously and working hard to build the ark, and he remembers Noah when he is waiting, and he is waiting. Have you ever waited for news? Have you ever gotten a biopsy in your family? You were waiting for the result. We need reminders in our lives of the faithfulness of our Savior. Let's pray and then come to God and worship just like Noah. Let's pray. Father, we are prone to wander, prone to leave the God we love. We're prone to forget. God, I pray that in this body of believers that we would faithfully remind one another of your promises, that we would train up our children to see the rainbow in the sky and remember, yes, your judgment, but also your faithfulness. God, to remember the fact that you remember those who are yours. You remember the least of these. You remembered Shifra and Pua, faithful midwives who probably thought they were going to die for protecting little babies. But yet, Father, in your providence, you remember them and Pharaoh has been forgotten to history. God, I pray there are, there are likely people here, brothers and sisters in Christ, that feel forgotten. God, I pray that by your Spirit you would help them know in their 
mind and heart right now that you see them, you remember them. And God, help us as a body of believers try to see what you see, to remember one another, to remember our brothers and sisters who are, because of infirmity, unable to come to church because of things they are suffering with, maybe too ashamed to make their face seen. God, I pray that we would remember them and go to them. God, help us to be a people that remember because you have remembered us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.